Greetings, adventures, and welcome to GNGG Cast. Welcome everyone to Good Night and Good Game, your geek news roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week is our producer, Tony. Hi. And our co-host, Hector. Hello. We're so happy to be back. We're sorry that we took a couple weeks off. We had a lot of personal things going on. Life happens. A lot of ups, a lot of downs. It was pretty crazy. Yep, life comes at you fast. But we are back. Our main topic this week is going to be about comic creators' rights to their characters and stories and compensation for that. But before that, we have all the geeky news that's fit to discuss. And before we start, don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg, where as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for our talk about. For us to talk about. Wow, I slipped yeah. that one up. Whatever. We're I don't keep, know. For, we're for, a talk, for a talk about, I we're like it. I think going. we should keep it. It's it's a, we're going to do a yeah, talk about. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to keep we're it. We're going to have a talk it's about. It's been two weeks, y'all. We're still getting back in the groove. <laughs> and as it is the seventh birthday of the Spooky PT demo, I am currently working on a new episode that breaks down all the crazy conspiracies surrounding the demo. And by the way, they are still happening as of today. Yeah. Like, it's bad, y'all. This is a lot of note-taking I'm having to do. Yeah, and, so, and so when for we're, next, we're going to have a talk about is going to be about the PT. Yeah, yeah, yeah our, our universe next, yeah, thing. That's, that's yeah, we're, we're going to have a PT talk about soon. <laughs> we are, absolutely. And with all of that out of the way, it is time for the prelude. Prelude. All right, this is the prelude. This is what we've been doing with ourselves this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time. All right, Hector, why don't we start with you? Yep, okay, so we have like so much to go over. I think um, the big one that I need to mention, the one that comes first and foremost to my mind that I haven't told you all about yet is The Ascent. If you um, haven't heard of this, it is a uh, almost a Diablo-like uh, action RPG setting in set in a pitch perfect cyberpunk world. Okay. And I mean, like, you're sitting there walking Sold. through. Yeah, play it, it now. yeah, yeah. You're sitting there walking through what should be like what the city that should ha- that Cyberpunk 2077 should have been set in mm-hmm. to the music from like Akira and Ghost in the Shell combined. Ooh, and then it. you're just shooting amazing weapons. Wonderful, wonderful game. Get it if you can. The, it was made by 12 people. They it's deserve your money. It's on Game oh, Pass. Plus, it's on Game Pass. And it's on Steam. Uh, the, per- the better version is on Steam because as yeah, of right game, now, yeah, the Game Pass, the game pass one doesn't have the um, RTX features. Yeah, RTX mm-hmm. or one of the other high-end things, but yeah. my graphics card ain't gotten on that shit. So <laughs> also, like, by the way, just for the, for the panel, uh, as of today, I believe mm-hmm. a game that we have all been waiting for for a very long time—twelve minutes, I believe—just came out. Ooh! Oh. So just letting y'all know that Ooh, okay. it's on Game Pass. Might, oh fuck! That that might be what I'm doing when I go home. Yeah. All right. What else did you do, Hector? Um, so that's the big one that I wanted to tell you all about. I mean, we've done a lot of stuff together that yep. I think we'll go over, but other than that, I mean, the, the life has been life, you know, yeah. I, I, I caught up on Holy Moly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony, what have you been doing? Uh, I was just wanted to bring up the movie Stoker. Okay. It's on HBO right now. Okay. Um, stars, uh, sorry, I'm pulling up the list so I can get people's names right. <laughs> No, because I'm not good with pronouncing names. So Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. I've known her yep. for a while. Matthew Good, I think he's a wonderful um, evil person, and he plays kind of one in this. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he's got that weird evil face. And Mia Walkowski. Walkowska? I can't... Hector, can you help me with that? Oh, okay, no. that is Mia Wasik. Yeah, Kowska. I, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no. I would have right. to click on her but face. We all, we all got to try. No, we all got to try. Uh, right there. Which one? Mia. First one. Wachowska? Wachowska? Maybe. Wachowska? 
at, Maybe. at this point, we've I, all tried and we're all probably wrong. Yeah, yeah, a few minutes ago, I would have clicked on her face and been like, the girl from whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's, she's, she was wonderful in the movie. In fact, she's the main actress. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mia, you're wonderful. I'm just not good with your last name. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays a girl um, who on her 18th birthday, his father dies and the story unfolds from there. It kind of plays out kind of as, as a horror movie, a uh, thriller um, my summary of it, though, is my, my where's my note? There we go. Is a Stoker? Um, someone has a thing for Daddy's belt. Um, there, that's I mean, a weird. The imagery of the film is definitely about the is is, is sexual in nature, and mm. the subtext of the film is about the uh, hypersexualization of younger women, and also the, how women can be serial killers too. Okay. Yeah. That sounds very fascinating, actually. I mean, it sounds like the plot of Perfect Blue, essentially. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Like Stoker, it's it was it came out like the 2020 and 2019. Either way, Mm -hmm. it's on HBO Max. Give it a shot. It was it was a hell of fun movie. All right, sounds good. Uh, For me, for just the solo stuff I've been working on, not a whole lot. Um, I did get a whole lot more free time recently. Um, but I've been keeping kind of busy with my third and final playthrough of Fire Emblem. I'm playing the Golden oh, Deer route now. Nice. That was the one I saved for last. Absolutely loving it. I'm in, in into the mid game right now, uh, where the big twist just happened. Um, yes, I realize for anybody who are giant Fire Emblem fans out there, there are four endings. I'm not probably going to go through it a fourth time, at least not anytime soon. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying just, to platinum I, that shit. I, I just wanted to like hit each house, get their respective stories, and be done with it. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm having a good time with that. And also, every single game that I have on my Switch is all a turn-based strategy game. So I have oh. like ten more in my back catalog that I've got to get yep. to. You got a lot of you got a lot of TV to watch while you play those. Exactly, exactly. Um, let's see here. Oh, but uh, the other stuff that we did, we all kind of did it as a group, mm-hmm. right? So let's start off talking about very briefly about the Green Knight. Yeah. So this is the new movie from A twenty four, normally known for doing horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a fantasy movie yes. that has horror elements to it, but it's not a horror movie. Right. I would say it was intense. I don't think I was. I, I, I would certainly wasn't ever scared right but the movie was very intense had a, there, there were de- there was definitely some disturbing imagery but it was overall just a absolutely remarkable uh retelling of uh the poem uh, sir gawain and the green knight right. and, and that's and that's essentially what you're into by mm-hmm. the way and and that's one of the things that i wanted to bring up is that it is a beautiful movie it is the telling of gawain and the green knight and also, it is a very quiet movie. Yes, it is quiet and slow. And unless you're going to go to a movie and geek out about how beautiful literally every shot is, you might be a little bored. Yeah. Um, just because the, the, the pacing has issues because it's a movie that doesn't care about pacing. It's uh, a, the, the story is very, very simple. Yeah, the, the story itself comes from the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird story. It's a combination of other shit. There's much better people on YouTube that will mm-hmm. break down the story yeah. of the Green Knight, mm-hmm. and it's, it's great shit. Yeah. Uh, for the film, it is a beautiful experience going into a fantasy uh, representation of mm-hmm. that type of storytelling. Um, it, it was very Midsummer's Night Dream esque yes. in its. Mm-hmm. You're going into a realm of our past that isn't our past. Yes. It, it was dreamlike, but not in the way that like scenes didn't connect with one another mm-hmm. more. And so that you can't believe they're doing this scene from this angle or this direction is like, you kind of feel like you're flying through the story 
more than that you, you know you you identify with the protagonist ever right there was a big part of it um which i've noticed for the last few movies that we've been fortunate enough to go to the alamo draft house and mm-hmm. see and they always do if you show up like 30 minutes early you can sit down and they have like a lot of interviews with the people that are in the movie yeah. or like here's here we're going to catch you up on the on Natasha before Black Widow right. and that's a whole thing mm-hmm. for this one they had the director and he they was like so what are your inspirations for the Green Knight and he's like you know it's um, the Dark Crystal it's mm-hmm. Willow it's uh, and he names a lot of fantasy movies from the 80s and yeah. a lot of them are very slow paced movies and so when I was watching the film I was that was always in the back of my head mm-hmm. like oh these are the movies that inspired this I see where he's coming from this and I don't find myself as a person I love artsy movies mm-hmm. like I love them yeah. like I went to IFC in New York when that was the only theater playing the Babadook because that's how badly I want to see the Babadook yeah um, but I don't like to come off as a pretentious movie person mm-hmm. um, but I feel like I took a lot away from the Green Knight that maybe people that are pretentious movie people will it really be drawn to the film, mm-hmm. whereas I don't feel like the average watcher will really enjoy it. Right. Um, yeah. And that's not me. It's an A24 movie. And this no, is, it's this exactly is, the description right. of that company. But, but this yeah. is not me trying to talk down to anybody saying like, oh, you're a bad person if you don't like this movie. I'm just saying it's really not for everybody. Yeah. The, it's, it's not digestible. The first thing I said when I came out of that movie was I well, absolutely loved A24, it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I just lines. don't know if I can recommend it to anybody. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's I would I probably recommend it to the people I saw it with. Right. Like, like that, that's, that, and, and that's what we did. Yeah. yeah. But there was another movie. I feel like we can all universally recommend. We can all talk about the movie we went to go see at Draft House. And I'm very, very happy that we saw in theaters. We all went and watched the Suicide Squad together. Uh, the glorious yeah. James Gunn Suicide Squad. Who wants to talk about it? Um, I want to do I'm just so happy. Like, I'm just, just thinking to do too about many spoilers it. I'm pausing this because okay. just so came out. happy right. in that film. Like, I, so, I've watched it twice, and I've I've enjoyed it equally both times. Yep. I got mesmerized the second time. I wanted to be critical. I had my notebook out. Yep. I specifically was like, all right, I gotta. I watched it once. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it so much with my friends. Now I've got to watch it for what it is, and thanks to the magic of uh, virus, <laughs> I have the ability to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I could be critical yep. of it, and nope. I got sucked back into the story mm. and the characters and how good it is. Yeah. I literally did the exact same thing. I think it was two days after we saw it in theaters. I was just at home yeah. and I was going to fold like a, <laughs> a metric shit ton of laundry. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I got two hours. And I threw it back on and I laughed at all the same parts and even some other ones with jokes I didn't notice. I had to pee like twice during the movie in the theater. So like I got to see all the shit I didn't get to see before. Mm. I mean, thank you, HBO, for that, I guess. Like, yeah. Th- That's going to come up a little bit later Yeah, in the th- there's show. a lot of... Th- 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 we're going to talk some more about that. But anyway, yes, absolutely wonderful movie. Um, I now know who Star of the Conqueror is, and I'm a better person for it. Yep. And if you haven't seen the movie, watch the movie, and you will be too. Back when I was heavily into running LARPs, we used to run a, a large-scale Cthulhu LARP once a year, mm-hmm. um, or, a couple, or a couple smaller ones at conventions. And usually it's about 40 to 80 people mm-hmm. involved in these things. And they take about a year to kind of create it from start to finish. We sit down, mm-hmm. and we write them as a group we write the characters as a group we set up props and all that and and i didn't know going into things like the suicide squad we um one of the games that me and my friend scott made was called like task force nine Mm -hmm. and we were just bouncing it off of each other we're talking about task force nine and what task force nine does and he's like dude i have the perfect villain for this and i was like okay what do we got i'm thinking of all the cthulhu mythos things he's like what if it's a giant starfish and I'm like, 
and by the way, Scott is the person who got me into DC Comics. I didn't read them beforehand. Oh. Um, and so he was the one who got me into Green Arrow and Green Lantern and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah. Scott so knows his comic he was like, he Scott's a good guy. He was like, there's this really vague, like character that nobody really gives a shit about named Starro. Why don't we make that the elder God? And I was like, I mean, cool. And he's like, yeah. but what does he do? He's like, he takes over people. And so we had this entire story about task force X of this like superhero group and like whatever happened to the task force that came before them and all this stuff. And I'm watching suicide squad this whole time. And I'm going, Oh my God, this is where Scott pulled everything from. <laughs> <laughs> like all of a sudden it just clicked in my head and I'm like, this is it. This is literally the the Cthulhu game that we ran that I had fucking no idea. We childhood ran, full circle. We ran fucking Suicide Squad. <laughs> and like that many people died in it. Uh. Um, everything about Suicide Squad start to finish, um, I absolutely loved. It is on HBO Max. If I can give you my highest recommendation for this movie, and this is, this is a, this is a, I do not give this recommendation very often. I smiled through the whole fucking movie. Mm-hmm. I, I never stopped laughing. I just laughed and I smiled and I watched it and I went, this is so fucking ridiculous. Thank yeah. you, James Gunn, for making a DC movie and just going with it. Yeah. So I, I have to say, because as we all know, and we've discussed before, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is like a genius level of perfect casting. Yeah. We're talking like Ian McKellen as Gandalf. Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. Kernan Shipka as Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like this person is this character and the actor is good enough to grab the character and make it their own and still be the... Like, it's just... It's perfect. It's wonderful. Um, Actor and character mesh beautifully. The rest of the characters in this movie felt on that level. Yeah. Like, Like, none of the characters felt miscast, even if they were only on screen for, like, five minutes. Fucking Nathan Fillion was perfect casting, and you'll see what happens to Nathan Fillion. Yep. Um, like just, yeah, I, I, I had no, no problem with the uh, makeup department for Nathan Fillion's character. The only, uh, I was watching, this is the, during the first time I was like, there's mm-hmm. all these scratches. Why does he have scratches on his arms? Like only on his arms. <laughs> It all makes yeah. sense when you watch it. You, you'll all see. You'll yeah. all see. But so uh, Sylvester Stallone is as King Shark. Win an award, please. Please win an award for voice acting, Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. It'll round out your career. I don't know. I, I, he's actually not my favorite King Shark. He's not. Ron Punches is my favorite King Shark. Uh, I, I, he's, he's my third favorite. Mm. And it's tied between... Um, Ron. Actually, no, it's Ron Punches. Yeah. And then it's the... Dark whatever future one where just King Shark is a shark for oh, forever right. until oh, the very apocalypse end. One. Yeah. yeah, apocalypse, mm-hmm. and then this is a wonderful King Shark. Yeah, and yeah, I just, I just want more King Shark. HBO yeah, Max, <laughs> Suicide Squad. Even if you don't watch DC movies, please watch this yeah, one. Watch this you one. don't need any reference for anything else. That's everything that we have, have for the prelude time. this week. We're gonna take a small break, and when we come back, we'll be going into the news and the weekly raid. Weekly raid. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the Weekly Raid, our news roundup for the week. We've been off the air for a bit, so let's start off the week with some happy news, shall we? First up, in what could be considered the most important news of the week, Dead by Daylight released a patch for their horror player versus player game a few days ago. And it specifically targets one of the playable characters, Pyramid Head from the Silent Hill franchise. So, what is this important patch, you ask? Maybe they buffed or debuffed his skills. Maybe they made him faster or slower to balance him in-game. 
I'm sorry gamers, it's none of the above. The patch to this horror game has in fact increased the size of Pyramid Head's booty in the game. Yep, when the character was released a year ago, everybody took to social media to say how disappointed they were that good old Pyramid Head didn't have as much junk in the trunk as he should. And so the patch notes for the game this week read, fixed an issue that caused the executioner's rear to be too flat. Good. I I am 100% on board with this. (laughs) If this game was free, I would go home and play it just for this patch. Like straight up just for this patch. I would play two rounds of this game, remember why I don't play games like this and quit. But I would put that shit on my hard drive right now. To play Pyramid Head with a good with a juicy ass. Yes, there you go. Yeah. There have been complaints that the butt is not juicy enough. Even in the patch notes, they do mention that it could be. It could be. It, it, did, did they go apple and not pumpkin? I mean, it's possible. sometimes that happens. But I mean, like of all the things the internet's rallied together and like gotten a positive result about, nobody was nobody hated on the company. They were just like, hey, in the promotional pictures, like he's got a bigger ass. Why hasn't he got a bigger ass in game? And they're like, no, yeah, we flattened his ass. That's our bad. They're like, yeah, that's our bad. Let's, let's play that ass. Yeah, mm. like, there you go. Uh, over in comics, Tim Drake, or as most people know him as Robin, Robin. came out as bisexual this week. Uh, most of the internet was super excited about this, saying mm-hmm. that it's actually wonderful that there are more. there's more bisexual representation in comics. Sure. Most of the internet. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's this website where patriots hang out and they are all angry about it or something. Well, a bunch of old people, you know, trying to inject horse dewormer into their veins aren't 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 the aren't the people we need hanging around right. anymore anyway. Well, so let the them have it. I just want reading them. my comics or opinions on Robin anyway. <laughs> I mean, just like one of the greatest memes to come out of this was just like this picture was just like, guys, you still have like three or four Robins that are straight. Like, yeah, which like, is which give is, us which, the one. Which also tra- probably not true. Let's get some more writers. <laughs> on those Robins. Right. Secondly, I, I'm, I'm just going to go with the, the boys version of it since maybe they'll actually do that at, at series at some point. Batman's fucked all of them. I am sorry. It is He's fucked all of them. He's a dude living alone in a mansion with a bunch of little boys he t- drives around a fast car with. See, and that, that is, that's problematic. Tony's statements are actually problematic because Tony's statements are actually what caused yeah. a lot of the initial comics code stuff to be created uh, because they, when they wrote, they, they wrote, they wrote, man the, can't be living with a young boy. Right. So when the, when the story called uh, seduction of the innocent was published, seduction of the innocent was an, an analysis of modern comics. Uh-huh. And in that analysis of modern comics, it talked about how horror comics like DC comics, um, Batman or tales from the crypt were um, actually promoting negative values to society. And this was in the um, early fifties. I want to say that this was published. And one of the things the person references was, you know, here's Batman, a person who trains little boys. There has to be a sexual connotation here. This it has to be because this ultimately is what Tony's opinion is what led to the comics code being placed mm-hmm. where comics had to be censored to such an extent that we couldn't actually have real stories in comics. Mm-hmm. We couldn't tell stories about um, homosexuality. We couldn't tell stories about addiction. We couldn't do all of these things. That opinion actually limited what comics could write about for, God, about a good 40 or 50 years. And that's why in The Boys, there is a character who's definitely not Batman and explains what yeah. that theory was, or, or not theory, but you know, 
that, that's a fun plot line. The boys is yeah. great. Thank yeah. you for explaining the history yeah. of and no, the per- comics personally, code. Personally, I, I blame well. the Bible awesome. yeah. for the yeah. comics code because that, that's definitely where all that bullshit. But goes. I think I think that we could all well, be very excited about the fact that there is a bisexual Robin. Be. Yes, because bisexual I mean, Robin. There's been great. four Robins, like one of them, like just one of them. I please. mean, honestly, they're all way too willing to wear tights, <laughs> like out in public in the '80s and '70s and '60s. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> all right, Free Comic Book Day is right around the corner. Walking it's in fact like that. this Saturday is free comic book day. Ooh. Um, and you will want to talk with your respective comic book stores because some of them are doing in-person events. Some are not due to COVID. Um, that being said on this free comic book day, it's easy to say, Oh, I can't wait to go get the free star Wars comic that's coming out or the free Archie or comic book that's coming out. But I wanted to highlight a comic that some people may not consider picking up on free comic book day. And that is a comic called, who sparked the Montgomery bus boycott? Rosa Parks is going to be getting her own book. Now, the full book is going to be released on October 12th. It's a, a, a graphic novel mm-hmm. um, meant to be for educational purposes. Um, but during Free Comic Book Day, uh, Who HQ, which is the name of the publisher, is going to be putting out this kind of excerpt from it. And you can go to your local comic book shop. Not every comic book shop is going to have it. So definitely call ahead and see if they're going to be carrying it or not. Mm. But you can get this excerpt from this Rosa Parks comic book that will be coming out. Cool. Awesome. I am. I want to read this. I'm yeah. so excited about this. this that sounds is super amazing. awesome. I'm all for educational comic books. One of my favorite comic books that uh, is out there is called the Magneto Testament. Mm-hmm. And it's a story of uh, Magneto in, um, I believe that he actually is in Auschwitz. Um, as a kid, there are no superpowers involved in this. This isn't like the beginning of X-Men 2 where he suddenly like starts bending the bars. It is a supplement. It's an educational supplementary material that at the very end of the comic has guides for teachers to teach the subject of World War II and what happened while using this book. Ooh. It does not shy away from things. Cool. It is meant to be a teaching supplement. I love this kind of stuff, and I'm super excited to see that we're going to be getting this Rosa Parks book, especially because I feel like now is just the time that it needs to happen. Let's get less serious for a minute here. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez has announced that his network, the El Rey Network, is going to be getting relaunched uh, thanks to a partnership with uh, Cinegem, Cinegem okay. um, as a streaming service. Oh. So the El Rey Network was known for a lot of uh, really great programming, like his remake of From Dust Till Dawn um, as a series. The updated El Rey Network, which will be a streaming service, will have uh, some docu-series, like something called uh, Rebel Without a Crew, the Re- Robert Rodriguez Film School. Nice. Um, Rodriguez is actually so- also... So he just sold me and <laughs> and Rodriguez is also in talks for a bunch of what they call first look deals with HBO and HBO Max. Oh, okay. so he's gonna, there's, he's, there's a lot of stuff that was on the El Rey network and a lot of things that they got the rights to for like old Westerns and mm-hmm. old Kung Fu movies and shit that like nobody wanted the rights for. So they bought yeah. all the rights and like, yeah, we're just going to put them on our own shit because this is, this is basically Robert Rodriguez's idea of like his TV channel. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have all of his favorite shit that he can get his hands on, on there. So it's got all, they have all these rights, to these cool movies and stuff. Yeah. Yep. So I'm kind of like, okay, cool. I, I kind of rather have it as a streaming service. Or at least a place, you know, a depository see, see, of Immediately, knowledge. I was like, why didn't they just put it on Shutter? But now that you're describing it, it's like, nah, yeah. his network really wouldn't work on Shutter. Yeah, no, this, yeah. Is, this is the idea of everybody in the future gets to have their own TV network. Yeah. And you can just play whatever the fuck you want on it. Mm. And this is a very famous guy doing that. Not the first person to do, it, do this. I mean, Turner Broadcasting exists because dude bought... 
did a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> he just bought a bunch of fucking stations and said, I'm going to turn these into two and do TVs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, do we need another streaming service? Cause we've brought this up multiple times. Yeah. No, Nope. Right. Are there a place for niche streaming services that understand their budgetary constraints and what they have access to. Yes. That's Shutter. why we have things like Shudder. That's yep. why we have things like El Ray Network. I mean, shit, Crunchyroll started out that way when it was like, no, we just want to put shit up for weeds mm-hmm. because yeah. weeds yeah. and we got the rights to you, it. You know what a <laughs> bunch of people are doing every week? Trying their best to find good subtitles so they can illegally download a bunch of shows that air in Japan every week. You know what we could do? Just like talk to Japan and be like, hey, if you give us money, we'll put those here and then give you money back when people watch them. And they said yes. And we'll translate them. And, and we like, don't even have yeah. the same deal that they had for DVDs and VHS yeah. for years. It's just it modified into a thing with yeah. Crunchyroll for these specific yeah, series. Yeah, there's a whole American and, audience watching week to week. And when now that they just got sold to Sony. Yeah, I didn't even have that in the news, but that happened. Yeah. Oh, like, so, Crunchyroll like, like, that was, so it was much money. For billions. <laughs> About a billion, I think. It was, uh, it was a billion or it was a billion or one point something. I thought it was like yeah. one point seven billion. Yeah, yeah. it was nearly oh, it, two. It might have been almost yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but for like Crunchyroll. For, yeah. for, for, for anime, it's for crazy. Americans. For licensing for anime. Yeah. That's, they bought basically. Yeah. Streaming niche markets is, does yeah. have a future. Yeah. In fact, it's something I think about every time I log into Netflix in particular, mm-hmm. because they're trying to branch it. They've been branching out with their own in, in particular content on this Netflix stuff where it's like, hey, you want these reality series about people on a beach? I'm like, no, I don't. But what about this other one about people? No, I don't. Stop being whatever that channel is. I didn't want to fucking watch to begin with is why I went to fucking Netflix. I don't like that shit. Mm-hmm. I don't but, want but it. But they feel the need to branch out so they can hit yeah, the entire demographic. Because they're going to be branching out to reach that demographic, they're going to start unless they can keep money in everybody's coffers, yeah. they're going to start losing the things that I care about and they already have been. And Netflix has been losing me as a customer to so many other shit. Amazon has so much great stuff. There's, and again, so many smaller yeah. mm-hmm. streaming services. Curiosity Stream is on, on every fucking day. Nebula is on every fucking day. Mm-hmm. These are small creators making smaller things. Mm. That yeah. are relevant to your interests. Yeah. yeah, and I think that there is a place for all of it and it's just, I like that Robert Rodriguez is being able to continue his crazy El Rey network into yeah. this. And maybe I get to watch those movies again. Because <laughs> the only place I knew that had El Rey was a bar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like in Austin, where El Rey network exists, yeah. I had to go to a bar and it was always on in the background. Mm. Because also most people that worked at El Rey, it was down the road from there. So <laughs> <Yes. it's> just, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm happy that maybe I get to see a bunch of this content that I didn't get to outside of... Yeah. Um, the bar. No, the oh. vampire uh, oh, from uh, Dust Till Dawn. Oh, which was, yeah. I, I which watched, was on Netflix. Yeah, which oh, was yeah. On, it was yeah. really good. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's been out. It's really it's fun stuff, and it's over. You can watch yeah. all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have yet to finish it. I watched the first season and then stopped. I watched the first two. But yeah. We got yeah. some catching up to yeah. do on that. So, <laughs> super excited about the LRA Network getting its own app. I think it's going to be really cool, and I'm super happy for Rodriguez. So, I know that it's been a lot of fun so far. We've been having fun things to talk about, but... Before we took our little hiatus, we had some big news happening over in the world of Activision Blizzard. When last we recorded, Blizzard employees were staging a walkout due uh, due to working conditions such as sexual harassment, frat boy culture, low wages, especially based on gender, and a whole lot more. So, I want to give everybody a quick update as to what has happened since then. So So much. I'm just going to power through this and (laughs) then we can talk. Okay. 
Blizzard president J. Allen Brack has left the company in light of the recent lawsuit against Blizzard. Uh, Jen O'Neill and Mike Yabara are will be the co-leaders of Blizzard going forward. Activision Blizzard has a second lawsuit to contend with as shareholders are suing the company for misleading them about the in investigation into the company and allowing a culture to exist which could knowingly negatively affect the company. Completely on their own, the Overwatch League casters have begun calling the cowboy character of McCree by other names when they're casting, such as simply the cowboy. The character of Jesse McCree in the game is named after a Blizzard employee that was named in the lawsuit for his harassment of female employees. Currently, the internet is rallying behind having the character's name permanently changed. On top of this, certain NPCs in, the world, of, in world of Warcraft, named after people in connection with those in the suits, have been removed from the game or renamed. Coca-Cola and State Farm are currently reconsidering their sponsorships with the Overwatch League. There is a lot of work to be done here, considering the Overwatch, a, lot, a lot of the Overwatch League team has come out, and specifically the Overwatch team has come out and said that the things that have been discussed in these legal documents didn't happen on their specific team, their team being the Overwatch team. Many predominant Blizzard streamers have quit streaming Blizzard games, many moving away from World of Warcraft in droves to Final Fantasy XIV, uh, actually making it where digital codes of Final Fantasy XIV sold out at one point. Better game anyway. Uh, as well as holding in-game protests in World of Warcraft because they had already prepaid for their accounts several months in advance. The drop in the World of Warcraft player base has been massive. Level designer Jesse McCree, game director Louis uh, Barrara, and World of Warcraft designer Justin LaCraft are no longer with the company as of this week. Okay, go. <laughs> Wait, did you get the Diablo 4 leader? That was, uh, yeah, oh, he, he was, he was, uh, yes. He was I on the list. Was, yes, was he was on the list. I, yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm really happy about the changes that are happening there. Um, my first immediate, my immediate thought for all this has been for quite a while, which is the, like, I'm so glad Bungie got the fuck out of Activision's fucking side whenever they did. Mm -hmm. And I also feel, I, I kind of want to like, know about there. Jeff Kaplan as well, because he also recently Jeff left. Jeff Kaplan quietly left. Yeah. yeah. He was the most left. wholesome person from ever, from all reports. Jeff Kaplan was the most wholesome person to ever exist at Blizzard ever. Mm -hmm. Which is whenever they said the Overwatch team in particular, they're like, yeah, Everybody over here is happy, for, except for like that guy. Mm -hmm. Just get rid of those guys. Like, I'm wondering like, <laughs> if, but I'm wondering if Kaplan was the one that promoted that environment because, as we all know, and I'm not trying to like stroke Overwatch's deck, but Overwatch mm -hmm. is a game that is um, pretty universally known for the fact that it has a very diverse roster of characters, mm -hmm. and, and that's represented actually in the people that work on Overwatch. The logo very character, which is race. Tracer for Overwatch League, is gay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so they're known for just having a lot of diverse people that work on their staff because they consult those people. Like specifically, when they came out and said, you know, the character of Symmetra is autistic, it wasn't just a hey, she's autistic for the sake of autistic guys. Like they had people on the team they could talk to about that and say, mm -hmm. how do we properly represent her? In game? Yeah, I mean, it affects. It affects your design. It affects your voice lines. Right. It affects a lot of things. Right. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. I guess the first thing is I'm glad a bunch of these people are no longer with Blizzard, but it still feels like there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. So, so I mean, I don't look at uh, the last time we had this conversation, I said, fucking burn it down. And I mm -hmm. haven't really moved on from that opinion. Right. Blizzard, it will be 
very, very difficult for Blizzard's two, the only two upcoming games anyone gives any shits about to recover from this. Um, Overwatch 2, obviously people are still playing Overwatch. People are still watching the Overwatch League, and that is great. It is a wonderful community, and it, and it is a game that is worth watching. Um, we were but, watching it before the show. Yeah, and, we were watching it before the show, and we're watching the Houston Outlaws, and that's awesome. I'm really worried about this because so many pl- uh, companies have backed out of their sponsorship just in general mm-hmm. with Overwatch League and particular teams just because they were like, hey, we're just going to get away from the backlash immediately because companies have to do that. Right. And I really am worried for the future of Overwatch League yeah. existing because if yeah. Coca-Cola backs out, and I can't remember the other one, um, they're, they're fucked. Right. These... That's State Farm. State Farm. There's State Farm. Because yeah. I believe Toyota backed out this mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Yes. Like the, those are huge sponsors. Right. If, and I'm not meaning this like right. in, a, in a weird way, but for them, those yeah, these are huge sponsors. Yes. Like this is so, keeping it afloat. So 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 that's one pin. Is everyone's like the 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 the, the, bl- the big Blizzard game to look forward to is Overwatch Two, which w- which as far as anyone can tell, won't be coming out this year or next year. Like not even close. The other one is Diablo Four. And the game director left for being an asshole, mm-hmm. which means he fostered a culture of assholery in the Diablo 4 team that now is being reckoned with, like as mm-hmm. we speak. In a game showed to us so incredibly early that they had like two effects and like half of a map to show us. Mm-hmm. But all the same creature classes and like it not that much of an upgrade from Diablo 3, like, like art-wise... They literally just made it darker. Yeah, they, they they showed us something. If you remember, they showed us Overwatch Two and Diablo Four at BlizzCon to apologize for the year before, insulting all of their fans and asking them why they didn't weren't super excited for the Diablo phone game, which also, by the way, still isn't out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to play it, I guess you could, but microtransactions will definitely ruin it. So you do you, I guess. But so this is the two things we know coming from Activision Blizzard on the Blizzard side. Everything else is Call of Duty, and I'm sure that is just a fucking cesspit. And I'm done with those games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, for it sucks to be a fan of Blizzard games because I did want to play or at least check out Diablo Four. Mm-hmm. I absolutely want to be a part of well, Overwatch well, Two. Let's talk about the the, the elephant like, in the room. Diablo Two Remastered is right around the corner. Yeah, it comes out launched. next month. It comes out in cool. September. I a hope game, everybody canceled their pre-orders. Game and if you didn't, we were please all, fucking cancel your pre-orders. Yeah, we, it was a game that we were all excited for. Originally. Yeah, we yep. all loved Diablo Two. Yeah. And before the show, we were all talking about it. We're like, we're, hate we're not going to buy teams it. To, yeah. that, that are worked it on that. Sucks. The good people to get fucked on that. But this is the but they work for Blizzard. The They're rotten. used to getting the shaft. So it's not yeah. me shafting them. It's their fucking corporate And there's bullshit. a question that's, yeah. that's constantly asked, and that is, well, if it's so bad at Blizzard right now, why stage a walkout? Why not just leave the company? And that answer is such a... The games industry is a that, fickle that bitch to anybody who decides to speak it's up. It's not well, even just that. It First off, change needs to come from inside the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one's going right. to force Activism Blizzard to change from the outside. Right. Like, that's the first thing, is, like, you can look at these people who spend their blood, sweat, and tears, hours of their life making God not enough money. Mm-hmm. And they love their company so much that they're willing to stay on through all of this shitstorm because they're hoping that at the end of the tunnel, mm. 
they have more rights, more pay, and they can make the games that they genuinely love making. You're talking about labor, the people right. who are making the things, the, yes. the labor environment. Right. Yes. They want a better company, yeah. and they are fighting for it, and you should not so dismiss them. So they need them. to change with capital. Right, but you should not dismiss them by saying, well, why don't you just quit? Because that but, sounds like somebody who has a stable job and good money. That's what you would say. Yeah, yeah. like, why don't you just quit? It's like, yeah, that'd be great, but I can't. I, I, I can't eat like like my, my, my pride and my values don't put a you know shelter over my head from rain or food in my mouth right uh, it, it and also it, for for if, if a thousand people just quit tomorrow and Blizzard didn't have any employees they would hire new ones and keep treating them the same what they're trying to do is change the way the company functions right which is noble mm-hmm. I think this would could be an interesting experience or experiment within socialism in the idea that the labor could rise up and say, hey, capital, you have to do what the fuck we tell you that we're going to do mm-hmm. because you fucked with us for too long. Right. Let's not forget that the first thing that Bobby Kotick did, that head of Activision Blizzard, would hire a... When he heard that the... that Not even that they were trying to unionize, but that they were literally just banding together to say, fuck you for all of this... And they, he immediately hired a union-busting law firm to come in and give them the next steps to how they squash this. The same one that Amazon hired. Same one that yeah. Amazon hired to crush the union trying to illegally uh, and they fought crush back. the union yeah. that tried to form an Alabama. We, we as a people, a society, that these are the kind of jobs that we also have. Georgia. We are the label, labor Atlanta. department for these giant companies. Coming together is in our all in our best interest no matter what we think about immigrants or anything else coming together when you're going no we're all working the same shitty jobs and we're all getting fucked by people that have way more money and that refute and, and are hiring lawyers to stop us from even speaking our voices it's time for us to rally our voices together mm-hmm. and Activision Blizzard employees right now have the chance to rise up together and tell those people in charge you're going to do what we tell you to do because the way you've been doing this is wrong yeah and we need to restructure the capital sorry i've just watched the thing about socialism so i'm stuck on that but the the people in charge need to realize that yeah they could hire a bunch of other people to shell out the same shit that it's not going anywhere. It's but the not. people who are actually inventive and creating new shit are the people who are working on the fucking front lines and the fact making the change and the fact shit. that the shareholders are fighting back. <sighs> so aggravating. Yeah. The shareholders are fighting back saying what you have done is a culture we do not approve of mm-hmm. because, and, and yes, it is a capitalist mentality, but them saying like what you are doing and treating people this poorly affects our bottom line. Mm-hmm. No, that is not acceptable right. to us as shareholders. And yes, we could be like, oh yeah, fuck capitalism. But you know what? In this one instance, it's kind of like, they're kind of right though. Right. Well, the profit motive is the profit motive, right? So if, 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 if what did happen is everyone just quit tomorrow mm-hmm. and Activision Blizzard had no programming or art asset employees or scripters or writers mm-hmm. or, you know, anybody mm-hmm. they don't pay enough money, which is most of them. The cafeteria people probably. Yeah. So at that point they don't make anything mm-hmm. and their stock price plummets and their shareholders are pissed off. Yep. And yeah, th- that is a good incentive for them to fucking act right. 
Yeah. So do stick with us. Um, I know that it can be exhausting while we talk about Activision Blizzard, but we will be following everything that happens with this story very closely yeah. and trying to report all of it's the gonna facts be a long, to you. It's going to be a long one. Yeah, but mm-hmm. like, it's, it's going to be a long tomorrow. one, but it's going to be one that could potentially change the entire games industry as a whole. Yes. So let's keep our heads up. Yeah. Let's support the people working on these games but maybe not necessarily support the games themselves yeah. I, I hate to be that person but when diablo 2 comes out as much as you want to buy it maybe maybe um, don't yep. maybe vote no, with I'm our wallets gonna. for a little yeah. bit no, um i don't have like, any information from you there has to be groups that are helping these workers that we can find out and yeah. suggest maybe they all have a patreon or something right. like, yeah. like we can like, do something I'll, I'll do some research and see if there's anything we can do to help a lot yeah. of these employees out but these employees that work at blizzard i guarantee you if you interviewed any of them the first thing they would say when you ask them the question why do you work at blizzard would be i grew up with these games all i wanted to do was work for this company mm-hmm. yep that's i it. just wanted to make these games i love yeah so take it for what it is okay so let's get to some happier news yeah if you love horror documentaries i've got two upcoming ones for you the first one and i'm gonna try and get through this name saying it properly shark exploitation is going to talk about the films that came after the popularity of Jaws, but also talking about the shark movies that came before it. So oh, it's specifically just a documentary. Oh, this sounds like because Roger Corman like owes so much of his career to doing like Piranha, because it has one of the better of his weird ass movies, which was a knockoff of Jaws. And yep, so yeah. shark exploitation cool. is going to be a big documentary, that just specifically awesome. just talking. I thought about it was going to be about the specifically. Sharknado films. No. And just to be like a multi-part documentary about the multi-part uh, It specifically <laughs> hangs out in the 50s to the rise of Jaws and is going to talk about some of the things in the 70s and 80s. It'll probably mention things like Sharknado, but it's really going to live kind yeah. of in that bubble. Okay. I don't know a lot of the stuff before Jaws. Be- but it, that's like the thing that sold the Black me. Lagoon and things. That's what like, sold that's me. That's also completely like, yeah. different stuff. Like, I don't really go after... It's not a shark movies aren't a genre I'm into anyway. Right. right. Well, Every I mean, now and then I'll get a cute girl when, on a beach movie. When you when you when you think back to Jaws and what Jaws looked like. Yeah. And you know, just it's you know, we really don't see the shark much until the end, and you see the shark and really today, talking. today you're looking at the shark and you're like, mm-hmm. Um nom, that nom. blew people's fucking minds then. They were like, that is the biggest, most real fucking shark yeah, no, I've ever seen Spielberg in my life. Had to build That's tension. in the ocean. He built all this tension through the dialogue of people talking in these confined spaces. And when you have these mm-hmm. slight jump scares, is what he was doing with Jaws, of a... Any jump scare into anything can look frightening. You can get a bowl of pasta and just... just flash to it it looks like brains or something like it doesn't fucking matter what you're jumping to whenever it's not enough for the human eye to understand what it is as long as it's vague enough and i can't remember what the original one jaws was called but it was vague enough to count yeah if you do a long shot on it it, it don't look good right but right so <laughs> so yeah shark exploitation did not expect us to delve into that i'm very proud of y'all for getting so super hyped for it the one that i'm actually super excited about aside shark exploitation i'm curious about the before jaws era of it Mm -hmm. um the other one that i'm really curious about is that filmax has begun a documentary called wreck terrorson pause it's going to be covering the Rex series, which are considered to a lot of people to be some of the greatest horror out there, really? including the actually pretty great remake of Rex that was called Quarantine. Okay. This was early, early. We're talking like 
post Blair Witch, the entire movie of Wreck, if you've never seen it, uh, it's a Spanish film. I'm, it's, somebody, yeah. Somebody's going to get mad it's, at me. It's either, Span- it's either Spain or so, Mexico. Uh, yeah, it's in Spanish. Yeah. And the it's entire even, thing is this kind of not zombie movie that happens in a apartment building. It all happens in a single quarantined apartment building. Yeah. And yeah, there've been, there's it. been several um, movies that have come after that and mm-hmm. they've for better or worse, they've been good. Some have been good. Some have been bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wreck itself is considered kind of a classic masterpiece. Yeah. And so it's it, not even that old. It came out in like I, early, uh, early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we have is this movie that's this kind of pinnacle of horror that sits on its own, but nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. Like whenever you mention the movie Wreck or even the movie Quarantine, people go, mm-hmm. man, that was really good. Yeah. Um, but that's it but nobody talks about the influence of the movie itself. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is they're going to sit down. They're going to talk about the making of the original movie. They're going to be talking to some of the original uh, writers and artists behind the movie. And then talking about what the cultural impact of a movie like wreck was, because Mm -hmm. while we don't think about it, we always think Blair, Witch is the shaky camera movie or paranormal activity is the shaky movie one. Right. But wreck was just a one that was, you watched it as somebody who is, reporting the news Mm -hmm. and which was almost kind of more genuine. Right. There there was a reason for someone to be holding a fucking camera. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, this is going to be like an interesting, like what the cultural impact of this movie was, because I feel like it's going to go far deeper than we actually think that it was. I'm in. You, for a shaky camera movie, you said there's a reason for someone to hold the camera, which is the entire reason those movies exist is the, why the fuck is this person doing this? And I immediately thought of JJ Abrams because he did a, kaiju monster movie where the entire reason the guy held the camera was he, he was documenting he was yeah. documenting his his leaving or something i can't remember the plot uh, oh, line yeah. anymore so, oh, that, yeah uh, that, that cloverfield yeah, 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 yeah. wonderful it. monster movie by the way yeah. but yes it is a <laughs> it's found fo- oh god really oh god it's oh, anyway. actually a really good trilogy yes, it, it's it, a really good trilogy uh, so so found footage movie and yeah the, the movie starts with a guy's going away party and his friend is filming Okay, and, yeah, and they that, just don't okay. stop. And he just filming keeps, it. keeps fucking filming. Apparently, I think he's on a phone or something. It has the battery of like fucking Gibraltar. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he was just wearing a backpack that was the battery for his iPhone. So I know that we were all talking earlier about the Suicide Squad and how much everybody should go out and watch the Suicide Squad because yes. it is available safely in your home on HBO Max Do right watch. now. Um, that being said. Warner Brothers has signed a deal with the movie theater chain AMC that states that starting in 2022, WB movies will be appearing in theaters for 45 days before heading over to HBO Max. Mm. Okay. They have also made a similar deal uh, with Cineworld and Regal Theaters. Okay. The, the, the big chains, which this yeah. is also good news for the mom and pop theaters that it, they're going, hey, no, we, we still know that we can get a copy of this mm-hmm. in our independent spot for 45 days because Alamo's this, on that list of smaller companies at this point. This is brilliant. <laughs> like, I've always wanted, this is the industry setting their gap because everyone just does it fucking willy nilly. And Disney does things like taking movies that are for sale and putting them in a vault. And a lot of other companies do this too. But having the industry be like, because now it's all digital, it doesn't fucking matter. This movie comes out in theaters. You got a month and a half to see this bitch in theaters. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel like going out because there's a pandemic. Which is really the uptime for a movie, if you think about it. A month and a half is like the rate that movies come out on a... Even Endgame was only in theaters for a month. Yeah. We're not putting movies out in the 1980s anymore where a movie played in a theater for fucking 
three to six months. It right. would run for six months. A, a pretty woman was in theaters for like 11 months. Mm-hmm. That's within our fucking lifetime. Yeah. Because we're also old. So anybody who's younger than us, fuck you. That's just the 90s, um, man. Yeah. Like, like Kurt Cobain was alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting kind <laughs> of, it's a little bit of an agreement, right? Saying like, look, we get it. Everybody wants to see these movies. But also people want to see them at home. Yeah. So we'll give you the 45 days, which mm-hmm. is normally the big run time for movies, right? That's yeah. the big time. That month and a half is when movies run kind of like somebody sat there and did the math and said, yeah. when do the well, figures, that's when they run hot, when, right? when, when yeah. do the figures mm-hmm. fall off? All mm-hmm. right. This is where they fall off. Yeah. 45 days. And originally the idea which was suck, you about. ran a movie for so long, then you put it on DVD, mm-hmm. then you put it on streaming. Right. But you had to press that shit into DVDs. You right. had to distribute them. People had to go and buy them. Like that So now forever. streaming is the hot shit. Nobody yeah. buys physical discs anymore so like mm-hmm. all right let's just cut the middleman at this point it's just 45 days in theater make a bunch of money and then we'll put it into yep. streaming sites this feels like a treaty and maybe like this should this should be the flag should be planted on this deal this feels like the treaty of the streaming wars happening right now because right now everyone's fighting fucking disney's getting sued by scar joe like everyone's mad about movies coming out at the same time in theaters and on streaming and so now we're at like, okay, fucking truce. How about let's let's give it a timeline. What's good? 45 days good with everyone? Is, let's fucking go. They were like 60 this, and they're like, ah, in, I can do 30. Yeah, yeah I can do 30. It's like, like 45, 45. 45. 45. This is great going forward. Unfortunately, I think this is the Dune is still going to be released on HBO Max and theaters simultaneously. Oh, and this is just a personal thing. That fits in its gap. I'm sorry. For me personally, it's, I would rather have Dune be only in theaters for 45 days and then be on HBO Max, even though I can't just go home and watch it. it, If it makes you feel better, I'll only watch it for the first 45 days in theaters and I'll probably see it twice. Chat has brought up an excellent point. You never actually own the digital versions. This is is true. However, through things like Amazon, you can still buy... Captain America. Now, this is a whole bigger debate because, like, whether or not you own the license on Amazon, that, mm, this gets really Where does your digital licensing and if that your company goes license? under? Go, yeah, uh, this is a very complicated exists. issue. No, no, it doesn't matter. You never owned, I mean, look, if you. DVDs sometimes come with it. You get a digital copy of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah look, it, it, let, let, let's, let's be super real, real quick. When you bought your, like, high definition DVD of whatever movie that you feel like you now own a copy of, I. You wait 10 years, then show me your DVD player. Right. You don't own shit. You, you really don't own shit. Yeah. And yes, you can play it for media a certain amount temporary. of time, but th- th- this, this technology, this media, it's only good for so many plays. It's only good for so much. And we can talk about what if Amazon goes under, but it's exactly as probable in the next oh, yeah. 10 years as you still having a Blu-ray player. Sure. Like it's just, look, I, I Blu-ray players were a thing in my house for a solid like six years. Now I don't own one. And I, I have mean, a technically lot of you do. Well, yeah, we know that's actually talked about way back whenever the PlayStation 5 was announced of the should you even get a, a the Blu-ray version of it for $100 more when why the fuck do you want a disc for anything? Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what, what it came down that's to. That's a whole yeah. bigger discussion that we really <laughs> should have that discussion at some point. Uh, it's been a hot minute, but we should move on for right now because a sequel to the bleak as fuck game Frostpunk is currently in development. The creators of the project have said their, quote, ambition is to do a more than just a straight up sequel, going on to say they want to give more choice to the players, especially when it comes to things like politics and um, how you direct technological progress. 
Okay. So I want to I want to break this down a little bit because I know the entire panel hasn't played Frostpunk. It's a game that has confused me because I click on it every time it's on Game Pass, yeah. and I go, "This has nothing." It, the name is so intriguing, and then I look at the uh, game and I go, "This isn't is what it, I thought it was." It's not for you. It is yeah. not for you. So the concept of Frostpunk is mm-hmm. that you manage the last surviving city in the world. Um, a group of people have left London. They have headed north. They have found a spot in this mountain pass that has enough resources to for the last people, as far as you know, of humanity to set up camp, try and rebuild civilization. And over the course of this game, you have to allocate resources, resources being people, as to what they're supposed to be doing. Do they mine enough coal? Do they get enough food? Because the world has gone through such a global catastrophe that it's all being frozen over. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it will get so bad that if you can't heat the final town in the world, everyone will die. And you have to make hard decisions. And the, and the branching tree for Frostpunk kind of just has two sides. It's really just like, do we use like religious persecution to like get people in line? Or do we like use um, just like like law and order? Mm-hmm. Right? These are the two factions you kind of have the, to contend. These are your options. Right? Both these of those are options, options suck. I want neither of those. Right. And, and, and they're hard. But <laughs> honestly, like as I played, I, I played Frostpunk a lot. And usually the law and order options tend to have the nicer options. Like I will allow people to bury their dead um, and have a mourning period. Whereas the religious side is like, no, we burn them in a pyre and like, you know, get back to your job, motherfucker. And like, I tried, I've tried three times to play a religious version of Frostpunk, And I get about two thirds of the way into the tech tree. And I'm like, I'm uncomfortable making people do this. And I get their just tiny pixels on a screen, but they talk to me and I feel bad about it. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> like it's like, tough. Yeah, yeah. It is a game that makes you make hard oh, moral choices. Oh, this is choices. the one you became an ac- accidental Nazi in one time, right? Yes. Yeah, I became I a Nazi that. accidentally and reset my game. Yep. Because you do if you go down so they, law, yeah. law and order has actually two paths, law and order. And so I went down I think the law path mm-hmm. to the deepest part and they and when you get to the final thing where you think you're going to kind of win, they're like, "Oh yeah, I, I finally got to the end of the game. Like I finally got all the people working in harmony. I finally have enough food for everybody nobody's going to die during a freeze and they'll say like do you want to like go and it's not the same word but like do you want to go off uh authoritarian authoritarian thank you god damn it um to make sure that everybody is safe and i was like yeah i absolutely want to and when that happens all of the flags in in the area you're in become these red flags with black black text and i went (laughs) oh oh i became a baddie are we the baddies (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fuck didn't you say something like there's a motivation bar and that motivation bar yes. turned into fear or so something? there's a, there's like a motivation and faith bar that goes mm-hmm. back and forth a lot and if you click that button the motivation bar becomes the dominant bar mm-hmm. everybody has full motivation everybody's fed everybody is happy mm-hmm. in air quotes and now you have the final city in the the world right. With giant red flags with black text, yeah. and as soon as anyone and, says I'm not happy, you go, "Yep," and you, and that's what happens. Like yeah. you just gun them down. You're like, "Yep, yeah. sorry, you're not part." Of it. And I went, mm. "Okay, resetting my game right there. I am not comfortable with. Like I wasn't comfortable with getting the credits rolled on that ending. Like once that happened, I went, "Nope, I'm out." If this game, if the second one is 
a third as good as the original, I am so on board. And I do, and that when they talk about specifically they want to make it more of a sequel and give more choice, mm-hmm. I wanted that too because it felt a little binary. Once, cool. you, once you've played it several times, mm-hmm. and, and once you play it the first time, it's great. But playing it, um, you know, several times over and over, you're like, oh, okay, all right, I can only go these couple routes, and mm-hmm. I gotta do these things. So I want giant branching trees. I want yeah. the last. You're looking forward to the, the, the yeah, the, the expansion of the morality. System yeah, I want that. maybe that's maybe that's socialism. This yeah, time. T- t- I would really like right. that. I would like a frost punk where they're like, um, yeah. can we all just like not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wait, I, wait, can I, I make a... there's not enough resources, <laughs> but maybe you can make everyone happy like, that they don't get to bury like, their the... dead because we have to eat them. Right. Can I can I make a zombie version? That's a thing that can happen. Yeah. It's like a hippie commune. I'd be great if I could play Frostpunk and like we figure out how to make a hippie commune yeah. out of it. We're gonna learn how to make ice igloos today. Yeah, like it's gonna be like, great. Let's do some crazy yeah. shit. So yeah, maybe we mind where the core is warm. Uh, there's a lot of games that um, <laughs> we're gonna need to do that. Ga- games are one of the things that because I I do play them so often, I do tend to pull up my heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Um, things like The Last of Us can make me cry. Um, there's a lot of games out there that really just hit home for me. Mm-hmm. And I will say of all the emotional roller coasters I've ever been on, Frostpunk was the deepest. And it's hard to say that and, and recommend it to people because it's a top-down, I-click city sim. Yeah. But every choice that you make in Frostpunk, the people will come to you and talk to you about. Mm. And you have to justify your actions to the people as they come to you. So when I say, we don't bury our dead, we burn them, I need to justify that to the people and that will affect their morale. Mm-hmm. Like that's just how it works. And let me tell you three in the morning, about five bottles of wine and you've got people asking you like why they can't just mourn their dead. And you're like, I don't know. I can't play this game anymore. Like I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's too much for me. It's, it's too much. So give me some more options where we can like not have to be so extreme with it. Frostpunk. I cannot wait for Frostpunk too. Yep. That's all I'm saying. It is not for everybody. Do watch some trailers. If it's your kind of game, do pick it up, though. It's on Game Pass, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, let's get some That's happier. why I keep looking at it getting confused, going like, this looks up my alley. No, it's not. No, it is not. No, the cover artwork and the name totally yeah. draw me in. Yep. And as soon as I start seeing game, I'm like, no. And you're like, oh, screenshots. And this tra- is oh. not yep. what yep. I want. Yeah, but it is one of the most emotional experiences <laughs> I've ever had playing a video game. And that's God, really yeah. I wish I could. I wish I, this was a game I wanted to play. Yeah. Uh, let's get a little bit happier here. Um, if you loved the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie, you're absolutely in luck. Sweet. Not only are you going yeah. to be getting a sequel to it, but it was announced this week that Idris Elba will be playing Knuckles the Echidna in the upcoming film. He fucking tweeted about it. Like, yeah. I, I had I'm no, very happy. I had no reaction when I heard that other than lol what? And then yeah. I saw on Ildris Elba's Twitter just like a little knuckles hand. Yep. And I was like, oh my God. It's actually happening. This is and all real. I really, I really hope I we. Just I, I just want Idris Elba mocap. Like, yeah. I want Idris Elba mocap as knuckles. Like, <laughs> this just makes me happy. I really like the Sonic movie because it was such a. If I had kids, this would be like, dude, kids, watch this fucking Sonic yeah. shit. Right. Don't become one of those Sonic kids, but watch this Sonic <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, yeah, like, the, the Sonic in the movie was such a, like, I don't know, he was like a little bit naive, a little childlike. Mm. I just really want Andrew Selva to walk on as Knuckles and be like, listen, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's all I want in the world. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Uh, just real quick, Congress. Family. 
Congress are actual Congress. The other gateways, the other. Sorry, this is a sonic thing for the movies, and yeah. now there's yeah. different realms. And oh, I think it's interesting. We're going to see some of the there other may, there may be some other, lore expansion. Yeah, the lore expansion is going to happen. <laughs> I didn't see the movie, it. so yeah, it's fun. It uh, Congress has begun looking into loot boxes. Good. In a recent letter, they stated that quote encouraging purchases of loot boxes before a child knows what's in the bundle is akin to gambling. They are citing the AADC, which is what's the age-appropriate design code. This is not a formal standard that exists, but it is an agreement that essentially the internet came to like years ago. Yeah. That has 15 flexible standards that are used to kid uh, used to keep kids safe online when they play games like uh, Roblox or Minecraft. Okay. okay. So when Roblox made their game and said, we're making a game for kids, it's going to exist online. Here's the AADC's codes, even though they're not government codes. Mm-hmm. This is what we are following. This is the standards and practice to make sure kids are not being exposed the, to gambling. The rating system uh, pre- isn't a government pre- code either. Right. Predatory mm-hmm. practices, etc. So this is just a baby step, but this is Congress going, hey, guys, flag. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it was all, uh, I hate to be this guy, but it was all to, uh, Democrat-led. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, it's, that's a thing. Well, yeah, they, they weren't they weren't going to make any money talking <laughs> about talking about video games being bad. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. We have been talking a lot for loot, uh, a lot about loot boxes and the way that they can be considered gambling. And now the fact that Congress is stepping up and saying like this is a big deal, um, we should be addressing this. I'm super happy about that. Oh yeah, let's have more of that. Only a couple more things to talk about real quick as we wrap up the news this week. Uh, Something interesting to watch out for is that over in the world of Sony, um, in their recent financial earnings call, noticed a small dip in the number when it came to PlayStation Plus, Mm -hmm. which is their Xbox Gold-like service that allows you to access all their online components, um, as well as giving you a couple free games per month. But on the uptick, um, there's been a noticeable uptick on PlayStation Now which is the service that gives, for a monthly rate, gives you access to a large library of games, much like Xbox uh, Game Pass, as well as play some PlayStation titles being able to be played on the PC. Cool. This, this could mean I a, really a, like a it when big, Sony plays catch up years later. Right. This yeah, I be, know you right, do. He just, there's his fucking Microsoft hard <laughs> yeah. on. No, it's yeah, okay. One day, things like, yeah, this is exactly don't what worry, happened don't worry. already. One day, one day Microsoft will catch up with their controller mm-hmm. or console. No, I'm, or dude, I'm stupid. Or... I cannot, like, I know the dream of the dream controller is in my head right now. And it is a combination of so many other people's ideas, but no one makes it. And it makes me sad. Yeah. Just, I, it, I can see it. I know how it works. And it's going to be great. It's going to be ergonomic. And your hands aren't going to fucking hurt. And it'll be <laughs> like, it, and it will work on all your stupid fucking systems. But this is not a Kickstarter, but it, it lives in my fucking brain. I'm tired of everybody's <laughs> buttons being dumb. And all right. Mislabeled on everybody's stupid XB fucking. Why aren't they all in the same fucking place? Who knows, Tony? Yeah. Who knows? I'm just tired of the uh, where where X, where's X? Where the fuck is X? <laughs> yeah. Tell me where it is. Find Top X. Bot is find on X. The, find X. We, we were told as kids to find it's X. It's in yeah. four fucking places, depending on what fucking console you, or what system <laughs> yeah. you play on. Okay. Yep. All right. Finally, this week, Netflix has announced some updated casting to Tim Burton's Wednesday Adams show. Ah, uh, yes. This uh, that, is good stuff. That will be starring uh, Jenna Ortega as Wednesday Adams. We're going to be getting. Catherine Zeta-Jones playing the role of Morticia Adams. Wonderful. And Louise Guzman uh, as Gomez Adams. Mm-hmm. The series will be very Sabrina-like in the fact that it will be what? a sleuthing, supernaturally infused mystery um, about that's going to be starring Wednesday Adams at the Nevermore Academy. Louise Guzman, 
Louise Guzman is one of the most perfect castings. And I know that for a lot of people, when they heard that casting, they went, that's not Gomez Adams because they went to Raul Julia. They went to the 1960s Adams. Sure. Did any of you ever see the original Adams Family comics? Shorter and I know, right? Yeah, he was this a little dude. Luis Guzman <laughs> yeah. is so perfect He's to play Gomez Adams. Like he if we still got has Bob that Hoskins as Wolverine, and everyone was like, "Where's Hugh Jackman?" It's like, nah, that's that, that, that's, that's what Wolverine, Wolverine looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very good casting um, overall for everything in this. Yeah. I'm really am excited for this show and the what it can mean for. The Adams Family universe. Mm. Um, I still have yet to go back and watch the animate or the newest animated. Feature. I've been wanting to. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those. I, I I've almost started it three times, and then yeah. someone distracted me, and I just watched <laughs> yep, something else. Absolutely get that. And I like Tim Burton's involvement in this, and do hope that it is an expansion of his creativity, but not in the digital space. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of understand what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not. He, he works get, best in practical. The yeah, practical I, I effects. Think, yeah, him directing and not like running the show is probably a good thing. Yeah, when he, whenever he produces things, like look at Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. As the producer for that, Nightmare Before Christmas has been one of the fucking greatest mm-hmm. children's slash Christmas. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Yes. But he produced it. Right. He did not sit there and micromanage everything. And, and yet I he need gets all him the to. Yeah, he gets all the credit. That's um, sad. It's. We should be. Sorry, no, I, I, I lost my I lost my thought there. But yeah, no, but I, I I'm really looking forward to this. This one, entire yes. casting, I just looked at it and went, "This is all absolutely perfect." Yeah, yeah, you know, we need more of this. Luis yeah. Guzman can still has the romanticism as Gomez. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's where the deliver, first thought was coming, uh, yeah. and I got sidetracked by Tim Burton. Yeah, he will absolutely sell the romanticism. Yeah. He can deliver a sweet romantic line so so easily. Oh, and he's gonna be doing it to Catherine Zeta. I am. Yeah. This is I'm so into good. It. This is so good. Yeah, and it's so much the original vision of the the drawing of the Adams family. So I'm super excited about it. I'm excited about the casting. It's been a while since I've said that about a Tim Burton production, mm-hmm. where I've been like, I can't wait for that. But yeah, I'm absolutely on board. Okay, and that is it for the news this week. We are going to take a small break, and when we come back, we will be going into our main topic in the boss room. Boss room. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the Boss Room, our main discussion for the podcast. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. This week, award-winning comic creator Chip Zdarsky announced that he will be joining a creator-owned digital publishing platform called Substack. Many high-profile comic creators are going there to self-publish. Think of it as like a newsletter that you pay for and they just provide content. Okay. So you're just giving money to the creator to create the comics and they distribute it from there. So instead of going through Marvel or DC. Um, so one of the cre- uh, titles that he is going to be self-publishing kind of like an on image there. Patreon kind of thing, kind of a mix? Yeah, kind of a mix of the two things. All right. Okay. Uh, it's not specifically for comics, um, but a lot of comic creators are going there to self-publish. So one of the titles that he's going to be publishing on there is going to be called Public Domain. The series is going to be uh, about, quote, Uh, following a family of comic creators as they deal with the ups and downs of the comic industry and their original creation that's taken over the world for better or worse. Now, while this is great news in its own right, the big takeaway here is how the story is about how comic creators navigate properties that are no longer in the creator's hands. Mm -hmm. 
So recently, a Guardian article was released where several anonymous comic creators came forward to talk about what compensation they receive when their characters and their stories are brought to the big and small screens. Mm -hmm. Ed, uh, Ed Brubaker, who is most well known for bringing back Bucky Barnes to create the Winter Soldier, said that mostly from what he's gotten from Marvel was a quote, thanks here and there over the years that's become harder to deal with. Yeah. He went on to say, I have a great life as a writer, and be it's because of my work on Captain and the Wilder Winter Soldier um, that brought so many new readers to my other work. But I can't help feeling a little bit sick to my stomach when my inbox fills up with people wanting me to comment on the show. Some creators have said that when a project that they've worked on comes to the big screen, they're usually given about 5K which mm -hmm. is uh, usually for travel and, and food and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't have to be used that way. And they're given invitations to the premiere. Now, it's important to note here that most comic creators are work for hire and their contracts are usually a flat fee and royalty payments. Yep. Some creators do get what they call equity, which is a small share of profits if their character or story does make it to television or film. But this has kind of caused a small debate. If these movies make billions, should the creators be entitled to more of that money? Now, I don't want us to go swinging one way or the other off the bat. I think there's plenty of discussion to be had on both sides, especially considering the earliest treatment of comic book creators, which was frankly atrocious. Now, both Marvel and DC have said they will not comment on how contracts are handled because those are super <laughs> private and we don't want to get into those. Lol. So with all that information out of the way, let's discuss comic creators' rights and compensation when it comes to film and television. So I feel like this uh, we can start off with uh, one of two topics. It's how it is right now and what we can do about it mm -hmm. and how we think it should be. Okay. So let's previously talk about how it was. So I like I like where you're going. Mm -hmm. Let's start at the beginning. So so oh, early nice. early comics was um, hey thanks for this drawing get the fuck out right yeah, yeah. so it's, it's everything you made we own yeah so you, you we drew don't this care. guy in a cape it's yellow and blue and red yeah that's awesome thanks so much for your contribution um, we're gonna take over here now right and here's the reality of creating and I'm using air quotes if you're on the radio of creating a comic book character is you made a thing for a company that hired you to make things. Mm -hmm. Now, unless you negotiated in the beginning that you have any right at all to that, you do not. Just legally, the law is not on your side. Right. P period. Right. And this was the thing... And companies used to absolutely lean in and weigh and just press down on this and right. say like, oh, if you, want more, if you want more money, create us another thing. Oh, you want to make money off your previous creation? No, we own that. Right. You, you must be confused and poor. We'll, we're happy to let you leave. And there's a big uh, recent <laughs> in the last 10 to 15 years thing that happened where um, Neil Gaiman mm -hmm. came out and his original character of Angela for the com uh, comic book Spawn, she was still being used. She was like the predominant villain in Spawn. Mm -hmm. And Neil Gaiman's like... Right. You're still writing, Angela? Like, I need some compensation for this thing. Mm -hmm. And they went, no, you wrote her for Spawn. And he went, okay, so let's take this to It was court. also that he wanted to yeah. use her himself. Yes, he actually mm -hmm. did want to yeah. use that character. Like, um, thing. I still own her and want to do other things with her. And because the way Image works and what I signed on for Image was 
what I created was mine. Yeah. This is what I'm doing this short version of the, the tale. Um, it, it was his defense. And after many lawsuits was able to win the rights. Yes. The he, he had the mm-hmm. rights and all of it is. Yes. Right. It is the, what image was founded on. Now you wrote some shit. That's yours. Which is why Angela now exists in <laughs> Thor mm-hmm. instead of spawn. Um, yeah, but that was one of the kind of the one-off things, right? Not every creator well, yeah, has... Neil Gaiman had Neil Gaiman money and could actually hire lawyers to fight this for him in court right. versus a company with all the to money. To fight Todd McFarlane, which had to- has Todd, Todd McFarlane, McFarlane money, money, which is actually more than not- Neil yeah. Gaiman money. <laughs> but yeah, this is a complicated issue because when we talk about these things, we talk about the early days first where uh, people um, like Schuster were kind of created these characters or Bill uh, Finger created these characters yeah. like Batman and they didn't have a penny for ages. Yep. And this is when, during a time when even things like the Batman um, 60s show were the height of their popularity. Mm-hmm. He, they didn't see a dime from those, those productions. Nope. Cause they didn't belong um, to them. I they, mean, technically right. They were owned by DC. Now the climate's changing. Well, the atrocity of contract law is uh, one of the problems with just America in general. So, mm-hmm. Right, but that's one of those things that, like, it's getting better. Yeah, well, well, here's the thing about it getting better. To realize that we can talk to each other and work those contracts out a little. Right. Here's the thing about it getting better is that the only way it could ever possibly get better is if before you create a thing for a company, you tell them, I will not make anything for you that I don't own because I'm literally creating things out of my brain. So when you make money on it, I make money on it. Right. And if that's not okay with you, I'll fuck off to Marvel, DC, or I'll fuck off to DC, Marvel, or I'll fuck off to Image, or I'll go to TV. Wherever my ideas are worth money to me is where I will create them. But there's a problem with that that idea. And I, I respect the idea, mm-hmm. and it works. But what if your idea is, I have this amazing ghostwriter story mm-hmm. that's going to change the landscape of ghostwriter yeah. and will then become the next ghostwriter that everybody follows for the next 20 years. And while that is wonderful, and while we need more of that, because it is great when multiple people can write for a single character, that's why public domain exists. Mm. Um yeah, obviously, the only reason we have good versions of characters like Deadpool is because the company owned them, not the person who created them. Right. Because when Deadpool was first created by Rob Liefeld, he was, a, you know, a, a mercenary with too many pockets. Right. Now Deadpool is Deadpool, and he's a major thing. And it's I don't think he would have ever become... Fun guy. Many, yes, and he never writers. would have become that if Rob Liefeld had control of him. Right. Uh, so, so all of that is great. Many writers, many creators look when, and that, and this is the problem that I have with the whole scenario because yes, someone somewhere one day created the Black Widow, mm-hmm. a massive Black Widow movie just got released. It made a ton of money, and that guy probably didn't see a dime. Right. He probably got five grand to like fly to the premiere. Yep. Which might have covered some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, since the creation of Black Widow, multiple people have drawn her, multiple people have written her. She's been played by more than one actress. Uh, she's been in several billion-dollar-grossing feature films. Mm. Um, written, animated multiple different times. Animated multiple different times, written yeah. by maybe hundreds of people at this point, if you include... Drawn by all, thousands of people. Yeah. yeah. So, so based on all of this, how much yeah. of Black Widow that exists today is this guy's work? Right. Almost none of it. So what is he actually entitled to? 
to be fair, he's entitled to, to be real. He's only entitled to what he negotiated for when he opened. Right. That is it. And if he didn't negotiate enough, if he didn't think his idea was valuable enough, that that, that then then here we are. But when she was created, nobody thought there'd be Marvel. Exactly. On the big and and there's the, the, the problem. The problem with that is it's none of that is the anybody's fault. Circumstances of the time aren't right. The guy who made Guardians of the Galaxy and just wrote all these characters in and then wrote new characters in until we have the iteration that we have now that actually got to screen that James Gunn made out of a bunch of actors who, I mean, everyone before Guardians 1, Chris Pratt was the fat guy from Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, 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 so much has happened around the Guardians of the Galaxy that has nothing to do with the original writer of this idea of this story. Mm-hmm. So how much of it really does belong to that person? I have no right. idea. But when you create an idea like this that could someday be valuable, you have to put your name on it. And I don't mean they say your name in front of the characters. I mean you get a check at the end of the day. Right. I look forward to... That's actually one of the things I'm worried about. Sorry, I look forward... Mm -hmm. Wrong words. I'm worried about... Um, Green Lantern under these, this, the uh, DC idea of that mm-hmm. because yes we have like the few main known Green Lanterns you have like Kyle Rayner mm-hmm. and that's the only one I can remember off the top of my head mm-hmm. but my reading of the comic books and the one bad movie that also stars Deadpool yeah uh, there are so many hundreds of other Green Lanterns mm-hmm. that are going to have to show up mm-hmm. right and there are so many other other color lanterns from every other different person's comic book that have every other different... This is why X-Men's impossible to fucking do. (laughs) Too many people own all these individual characters and everybody goes, no, this is aggravating. I don't like it. I want to control things. Every every writer who steps into X-Men says, here's the 10 base X-Men that I want to write. Now I want to introduce this new X-Men and here it is. Well, here's what I've always wanted and I know that this is never going to happen. Please prove me wrong, somebody, anybody. But I really want a HBO level or movie something... About Batman with a yellow ring. Right. And like, oh, that'd be a good anime. It would series. be amazing yeah. in a series and like whatever you're going to do. But it requires so much foreknowledge and so much crossover from mm. like established properties that I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I would watch a shit out of it because yeah. that's the best villain I've ever even heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Comic yeah. creator rights is difficult because it's easy for us as people who, <laughs> who don't work in the industry to go, well, obviously pay the people who made the thing. But who made the thing and who made the thing that people know now is Mm -hmm. two different things. Yep. Like it's, it's, it's varied and it's, it's difficult to look at and just say, well, yes, we can look at, (coughs) sorry, the original days of DC and say like, well, yeah, Bill Finger should like, you know, get a certain, you should something out of Batman. Right. He should. Um, one of the things that happened was suicide squad that we talked about earlier aired, um, this week and Gail Simone, who mm-hmm. had made some of the characters that appeared in the Suicide Squad, all she did was tweet one line. Mm-hmm. And it was the most important line in the world, which was, James Gunn, thank you for acknowledging me in the credits. That's all she wanted. Mm-hmm. She got her name in the credits saying, like, hey, I worked on some of these characters. And I'm so happy that somebody acknowledges that this is where this work comes from. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a basic level thing yeah like right? just an actual thank you or right. uh, hey i got this from them right they're the, pretty re- great uh, credits recognition the history of that is actually very long and complicated for mm-hmm. recognition especially for women in any industry oh yeah um the role of editor wasn't until uh warren Beatty film re- dick tracy 
No, way before that, uh, like 30 ooh. years before that. Um, I'm not a Warren Beatty. Okay. Uh, this was one of Warren Beatty's earlier films. It was the first time the editor was listed, and it was... Oh, in the woman, credits? In, in the credits, mm-hmm. and, it, or, and it was woman, and it was a whole thing. It, women in the film industry are massively unrepresented mm-hmm. historically. Yeah. I mean, there's... Well, the film industry <laughs> comes from a time when, but, I mean, if a woman did a job, her husband's name got put on the project, just because, I mean... We yeah. can't have her and getting ed- any ideas. And editor's jobs were women's work. It's actually listed in like the editor's code book from like 19-whatever. This oh, is right. basically women's work. It should just be mm-hmm. a thing, and which is why you should never give them credit, but also here's how they should do their job. Yeah. And it's great work actually explaining how to be an editor. It's just really fucking sexist. Mm-hmm. Um, the With the recognition allows people to further their own careers and their cultural identity and development of self, whatever is what I'm trying to say is once, when you become recognized at a certain level, that is great Mm -hmm. because we are now finally being able to recognize people like Gail Simone Mm -hmm. and these creators, um, Tim for Harley Quinn. Uh, I can't, we talked about it before the show. One of the characters I wanted to bring up was Harley Quinn's history because she is in there and you're like, well, they created a character that existed in a cartoon Mm-hmm. That has become a multi multi billion dollar character. Mm-hmm. What do they just get a five thousand dollar check uh, at the end of the day? Right. Or Bruce Tim and Paldini? Yeah, thank you. And we all love that character, but she has been. We all said earlier that she is not their character anymore. Right. right. That she. Yeah. She's become. Yeah. Uh, she's a whole different. She's thing. Margot Robbie's character. Yeah. And grown past their creators. So yeah. I want to. <sighs> Sorry, I went on a weird tangent I, I, there. Everybody yeah, get your shot glasses ready, because mm-hmm. I'm going to say those words again. I need to talk about Donnie Cates. Okay. The reason I bring him up is because Donnie Cates is something that currently does not exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I guarantee you, in the Marvel movies going forward, the stuff that he has been writing mm-hmm. will be in the next phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Um, maybe Cosmic Ghost Rider doesn't make it in, but his work on Aww. things like Guardians of the Galaxy might make it in. Mm-hmm. Um, his stuff on Silver Surfer Black, that uh, Null as a bad guy. Null is the largest bad guy to be in the uh, Marvel like comic book universe in decades. He was a apocalypse level event that happened that every comic book writer said, no, we actually do need to stop what we're writing and like tie into what Kate's is doing because this guy is like the literally end of the universe. We need to figure out how to deal with that. He's a, he was a Thanos level threat, a galactic mm-hmm. level threat. And it may not happen in the next phase or the next two phases, but the stuff that Kate's is working on will enter the universe because those are the most popular comics on stands right now. And Marvel is taking notice of that saying Kate's is our hot property. Kate's mm-hmm. just left um, what he was working on with venom, 200 mm-hmm. issues of venom that is considered the best venom that's ever been written. And he is now working on a property that nobody thought would be popular, which is Hulk. And he goes, man, if you think it, if you like what I did on venom, wait, do you see what I do with Hulk? And I guarantee you that's going to be the next big thing. Yeah. Kate's is Hulk the creator. Was already doing some really fucking cool yeah. body horror. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Last, absolutely. Like, six months. <laughs> but Kate's is that creator that has been with the company and he's the, he's a McFarlane. He's mm. like a Jim Lee yeah. that they're saying like, 
this is the person that will define the next era of these films because these are comics that everybody's buying right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to start incorporating. And so we look at a Cates and we go, okay, so where is Cates' involvement lay with the things that he's created? Because right. Silver Surfer existed way before Cates, but Silver Surfer Black is his own thing. Uh, Null, completely original bad guy. How much credits does Cates get for this character who is a completely original concept but is based in the Spider-Man universe, mm -hmm. right? Like these are yeah. so these are who, very complicated. Who, 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 so again, like, again, like reality versus what it should be, right? Galactus and Thanos and sure. all the other yeah. bad so, guys that were. So, so you have Cage like writing all of this stuff now. Mm -hmm. If no, if it is not written anywhere that if they use his storylines, he gets paid. He will not. Period. Yeah. Hopefully, if the studio is smart, they will bring him in to help make the movies and consult on him, and he can get paid that way. Right. This that's was not a, that's a that's a good like like yes. workaround. Right? Yes. This was not an option a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, for 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 people for the people who made Batman and Superman, no yeah. one was going to ask them to come in and write. They had writers. Writers were a dime a dozen. They were you know down the street. They could pay him a quarter for a story. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we didn't need knows like his that. future is going to be one of the head editors for Marvel or overseeing yeah. one of the so, DC Marvel movie fucking universes so so there's so. that so so if he doesn't have any of that written in he can move forward and a lot of people won't have that idea but there's again what well, what it what it is and what it should be and yes i believe that donny cates that stories absolutely should be adapted to the screen that would be amazing we mm. need a lot of that yeah uh please do that but do it with his help because that's how you make movies good and not, you know, shitty based on someone else's like awful interpretation. Sure. Um, I mean, I mean, we'll see, right? Some if, comic if, writers can't be trusted to adapt their own work. Bringing to comic book writers and or really creators, if if bringing mm -hmm. creators mm -hmm. in to work on movies is the way that we get them the pay that they deserve, mm -hmm. by all means, let's do it. Yeah. Because I am all for comic book creators, artists, writers, everything. Grab the art, grab the artists to do storyboards, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like bring them in and get them a piece of that that billion dollar pie that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. But as it stands right now. When legal contracts are the way that they are, what do you do? Right? Nothing. You you can't. Um, okay, so there's a really good um, suggestion in chat that is uh, maybe there's like a ladder, ladder level for payment. Like if you created this character, you get X amount. But if someone else draws it and someone else writes it, maybe you get less and on and on down the line. That to me sounds like an amazing formula to change the way people write things for the worse. Um, this, it, it, while it's a great idea to divide up compensation, after you go so deep, you get no residuals points. and it it's makes people, system, yeah, it's points on an album. And if you have like 50 people going for points on an album, nobody gets anything. This is where the math starts to break down. If you want to be paid for a thing, you really have to be involved in that thing. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it is now. And the way that, I don't know, I, I don't want to say it's the way it should stay, but if you create a character and 10 years later, someone makes a just banger movie out of that character. So let's say, let's take Cosmic Ghost Rider. Right. Cosmic Don, Ghost Rider. Donny Cates' original yeah. creation, mm -hmm. while based off the character of the Punisher, mm -hmm. is an original creation. Right. Now let's say there's just an absolutely dynamite Cosmic Ghost Rider movie in like 2030. Mm -hmm. And it's just all the tits and it makes $2 billion. And there's nothing written into anything that says Donny Cates gets a dime of that. He will not see a dime. Right. And that's just how that goes. If he didn't work on the movie and get paid for working on the movie, now we can sit here and say that, that, that morally, yeah, ethically, we're also we not believe lawyers that's wrong. and don't really know I, yeah, shit no. about character laws. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I do believe that that's wrong, and I believe that he should get a cut of that just for like being the progenitor of that thing. Right. And if he was, 
anything bigger than a single person working for a larger company, he would. Because companies protect their rights to shit like that with all of their might. And people probably should too. Mm. But if he doesn't work, yeah, but but if you don't work on the project, you don't get paid. But at the end of the day, like his his contract says, this is what you get paid for your creations. Mm -hmm. That's what you get. Yeah, and and while it might be wrong, it's just how it has to be. Because if you didn't work at all on that movie, how much should you actually make? Right. And so when we talk about the earlier days of comic books, when we talk about people like uh, Bill Finger and all them, you know, not making any money and literally dying. They shouldn't die poor. They they died. They died poor. The people who made Batman and Superman, they died homeless and poor. And that's fucked up. And we do not want that. Yeah. And maybe we need like the comics code, like, like the streaming code that we like the treaty that we just signed, like 45 days. Okay. Look, if you created a character and the property makes a billion dollars, you get fucking like 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 0.1 percent yeah period sorry that's just what you get for 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 helping us create this thing you won't die poor you're probably gonna make like a hundred thousand dollars for something you didn't even think about and probably didn't even go see in the theater right i great i love that the thing made a billion dollars like we have money to pass around right i feel like we're thinking about this in the way that we should I, i feel like we're thinking about this the wrong way I kind of want to look at this as maybe in a positive what we should encourage okay. creators so, so we've to been, do so and, we've and been, what we've been, we can we, do so in the future. We've been talking I, logically. Like, I feel like I just feel like I'm, I'm sorry. It's like I, this, I feel very negative on this subject and I just want to try no, and be a little bit positive. I, I love this. I, I love this. So what we've been doing is we've been talking realistically. Yeah. And now I would like to, what if we had like a good legal we, system? Let's, let's talk. <laughs> what, we maybe? Would, what would we like to have happen? Like, let's talk about it, right? Let's yeah. use Kate's as our example, right? Kate's created Cosmic Ghost Rider, right? A character that mm-hmm. did not previously exist in the universe aside from the fact that he's Punisher, but that's a aside. Right. Original Man. character concept. Ghost Rider's a character. Um, Cosmic Ghost Rider wasn't, though. And but so the, we t- let's just it. pretend yeah. for a minute that Cosmic Ghost Rider, completely original character, and... What do, tattoo what, artist invented him. What do... Yes, yeah, true. Tattoo <laughs> artist... God damn it. Okay, so his tattoo artist gets $5 billion, but what do we optimally do to make sure the creators... Let's say that Donnie Cates, who will split the money with his tattoo artist, okay. would do? What is the optimal contract scenario that you would write for him? The that optimal... Is, that, that is fair to everybody so let's let, let's talk fair to everybody when you start working for a yeah. company um cr- writing and drawing and creating original characters and making stories out of them when you sign that contract that contract says any money this company makes mm. any money this company makes mm. off of this character some of it goes to me if they sell rights to a movie studio, some of that money comes to me. If Cosmic Ghostwriter goes from, and, and because companies can't do shenanigans when they do shit like that, mm-hmm. because if like Marvel fucking comics sells to Marvel studios, is not a legal defense. It, it, I mean, it could be. <laughs> Because if a company takes, like, this is my property and now I'm going to sell it to Warner Brothers and they're like, okay, cool, here's a billion dollars, be good, uh, then, then, yeah, yeah, it, uh, fucking Kate gets some of that money. Hmm. Any money the company that I made this for makes, I get some of that. And if that company gets residuals, I get a percentage of those residuals. Okay. That's my contract. Okay. Because that's how it should be for creators. So I'm going to complicate this scenario. Which, by the way, Tony, do you have anything to say before I complicate this? No, I have an entire other subject I was going to go write down for okay. an epilogue. So, so here's where the complication comes in. 
pre-established character. Mm -hmm. We'll call him for the sake of argument, Bucky Barnes. Sure. Already written by another artist and, mm -hmm. and written by another creator. 30 years down the line, you're an a, a up-and-coming person at Marvel. Mm -hmm. You decide to take this character from mm -hmm. a long time ago and write a story where you're going to say, hypothetically, you call him the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. Right? You write this story, pre-existing character, new story, and you talk about how the Winter Soldier came back. Mm -hmm. Now, years into your lifespan, you've already retired. Marvel has theoretically decided to make a show called Captain America the Winter Soldier or Falcon and the Winter Soldier mm -hmm. that is partially taken from not the character that you created, but the story that you made. Mm -hmm. Where does that lie on your level of ownership? When you wrote a story for Marvel, and I guess we're talking broad strokes, right? Because yeah. you you created the character Winter Soldier, but it was off of an existing property, right. uh, a very loose existing property. If we're talking about like like old Bucky Barnes, but I mean, this, it's kind but, of but you did make a thing, right? Yeah. You absolutely made a thing. I mean, Baron Zemo is a really good example of this. Um, again, when you because like you said, a lot of writer and comic book creator con work is contracted mm -hmm. and then based on residuals. If this character that I create, well, it, it, it's you adapted a character, right? That's the argument. Mm -hmm. If this story that I made that transforms this character substantially into something else gets picked up, mm -hmm. there's a residual there. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe they're not using your story frame for frame. Maybe you just get screwed over if you write for a character that you love that you didn't make. Okay. Maybe that's just but, okay, how so, that so, shakes so out. So maybe Winter Soldier is a tough sell because technically, like Cosmic Ghost Rider, we took an existing property, we made him into something different, mm -hmm. we did that. Maybe the better example is one of the greatest comic books ever written that everybody should read, and that is Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Mm. That is a character that already existed in the Marvel Universe that nobody gave a shit about, you approached your boss and said, can I write a book for Marvel? And they said, sure. What character do you want? And you said, Hawkeye. And they laughed in your face. And then mm -hmm. you were like, no, but really. And they're like, yeah, nobody cares about Hawkeye. You write a fucking Hawkeye book. Great. So you've taken a pre-existing character, made this mm -hmm. wildly original story mm -hmm. that everybody should read, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I have the omnibus. It's wonderful. And now you're book series is kind of being adapted into the upcoming Hawkeye show. Mm -hmm. Where does your representation start and end with that? Well, did you work on the graphic novel? Yes. Mm -hmm. You obviously get a residual of those sales. Did you work on the TV show? Mm -hmm. If yes, you get money from it. If not, yellow Loki, there was already a Hawkeye. Yeah. Yellow Loki was in Loki. This is a spoiler mm -hmm. at this point. I, I can't, I think it's point. We've already spoiled <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. We, yeah, we spoiled like, we're, Loki. We're spoiled that yeah. already. So it was like, yeah, Yellow Loki's in Loki. That's a character from ages upon ages ago. Mm -hmm. I yeah. cannot bother to look up who the fuck created Yellow Loki yeah. to find out who should get paid for that. But like, where, because that character has evolved and become mm -hmm. like a cartoon and when you're doing a human representation of a cartoon, you get to these deviations of characters over time based on the original intellectual property, mm -hmm. 
It's because mm. we're all writing variants of them. I haven't. Variants is a great thing to you, say you know, for this specific I have, example. I, I have it. I have it. Okay. So if I take a character like Bucky Barnes or Matt Fraction's hot guy yeah. or Cosmic Ghost Rider, okay. and I write a story based on other characters turning into other things, mm -hmm. and it turns out that someone wants to take this story and adapt it into the screen in any way whatsoever, mm -hmm. I get the right to work on that project with them. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Because they have to pay me for that. They absolutely have to pay me for that. And okay. I get yes or no say. Not whether or not they do it. They can do whatever they want. You just they, get to say yes or no. I get to say yes or opinion. no to, I'm going to consult on this. Right. They can because, still do I want, because I want my name on it because it's right. my character. And later you can take your name off of it if it sucks, yeah. if you hate it. But if they do something well, well enough that they decided to hire you to be on it, to be like, how do we make this good? Mm. Matt Fraction, come here. We're going to make a Hawkeye thing. We really need advice because Hawkeye right. can be super boring if we write him wrong. Help us out. Which more companies should realize that they should be doing, mm. especially now. Then, yeah, absolutely. Then you can keep getting paid for what you're doing. Yeah. Anything that anytime someone adapts your story, you get at least the right to consult on it. Okay. So we've come up with some very practical theories, which is it, rare for us. Mm -hmm. We tend to be a little bit more extreme and a little bit more liberal in our, our opinions about these things. I want to do one round table opinion before we start to wrap things up. And mm -hmm. that is in your ideal society, how <laughs> would you approach handling comic creators rights when it comes to the big screen? I mean, in ideally, um, w without getting way out under the woods and saying there wouldn't be money. Um, sure. so yeah, yeah. So, so without that, um, uh, yeah, ideally what you create for a company you own, that's intellectual property. That's practically libertarian. Whether, whether it be story, whether it be character. Right. If I made a Superman and someone wants to use a Superman in their things, um, you owe so me you, a dime. So, all right. So here's, a, here's an example. Mm -hmm. All-Star Superman is mm -hmm. a comic that exists. Yep. Somebody wants to adapt All-Star Superman mm -hmm. to the animated feature. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. By your logic, mm -hmm. because that is your story. Even though it's not your character, mm -hmm. money, please. Yes, they owe me a dollar. Absolutely. They owe me whatever percentage, and it should probably be very low, of what I'm doing. Right. Because I made So, you're, yeah, you're willing to say at least I'll, I'll take the low ball on this, mm -hmm. but it will still be enough because over time, that does it keep Right. And, and But it, what it does, and this is my pitch for this system, is it makes people want to create as much original and new IP as possible. It makes people go like, hey, here's a great idea for a character. Here's a great idea for a character. Not because it's like, hey, this is, you know, the early days of Marvel. It's like, this guy inflates. He's Inflato Man. Like, people aren't just going to crank shit that, like that out be anymore because no they, one because reads it. Because they need it. to have depth and character. You and need to write it pathos. well. And you can't write Inflato Man well, but you can write fucking, you know, Cosmic Ghost Rider pretty goddamn well, turns out, mm. if you have a good idea. Right. So the more your creation grows, the more residuals you get. Mm. And you might make a good living off of Superman if it gets adapted into a ton of shit. Right. And you might make nothing off of Inflato Man, but you invented both and you keep putting stuff out there into the world that you like. And that's what we should be encouraging creators to do rather than think, encouraging them to just make money. Right. I think creators' worth shouldn't be based on what everyone else's interpretation of their ideas are. Hmm. In that some ideas are fucking batshit crazy and eventually they do pay out mm -hmm. and some artists 
I'd have to look, I'm just looking at this historically yeah, sure. and it's the, the idea that artists are always persecuted in that having a shitty life generally filled with mental illness and shitty situations just trying to mm-hmm. output a thing mm-hmm. and we've been able to explode our humanity a lot over <laughs> deciding to be colonialists and now we have to... I'm sorry I lost my train of thought okay. there was there was a thing there um it's a, it's yeah. a difficult thing it's... to really sit down and discuss because we're looking at all these creators going we want all of our creators to make just top dollar. Yes, absolutely. We, we, want, we want them to be paid for their work. Right. And when their work goes, you know, triple fucking platinum, it really sucks to have them be like, yeah, but I didn't make rent this month. Right. We saw this all the way back with fucking Grand Theft Auto oh. 4 when the guy who played, you know, the main character's cousin couldn't afford rent and he had to put up like a Patreon. It's like, this is my voice. Rockstar didn't pay me shit. And this is the most, literally the most popular video game in the world. Best-selling video game of all time. I didn't make fucking fuck all. And I'm most of the voice in that game. Yeah. That's one of the things I want, uh, or what I was trying to get to is the mm-hmm. Patreon part of it, which mm-hmm. is, if you want ours, just go to goodnight.gg or just yeah. patreon.com slash gnggcast. Mm-hmm. I'll say those later. Hopefully, I'll remember them. Um Right now, there is a middle-class cultural thing that is happening where creators are being able to express themselves and find their audiences in whatever cultural niche that they can fit into. Mm -hmm. Hell, this show is part of that culture. Mm -hmm. And that culture is allowing creators to expand what their financial market could have been Mm -hmm. and do something new. Mm -hmm. Um, I mention this because there's a, a a, a person that was, you were, you saw him recently while I was had him on YouTube. Um, He does Tiki mugs, Mm -hmm. uh, Van Tiki. He's known throughout everybody as this wonderful fucking sculptor who worked in the film industry. He's born in Hawaii, but he, I know him through his, what he started as just an Instagram thing is he was like, oh, somebody should send you an Instagram. And he just started recording videos for it. And to his doing these longer form YouTube videos that are very educational and by one of the best sculptors I've seen in the world right now mm-hmm. or that I know of and doing highly informal information. And because he has a Patreon and these smaller things, we were able to contribute to them. Mm-hmm. And... I know it's a deviation from the comic book artists and, and on film rights and things, mm-hmm. but to some degree, artists don't have to be burdened by those corporations anymore. I'm we right can exist outside of that mm-hmm. to go, no, we're going to make our own fun. We're going well, to I mean, do to... our own things that, while sometimes are loosely based on your stuff, because, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I did a Tim Burton-esque mug because I watched Night Before Christmas. Christmas, notice I... yeah. It's not you, even. But you honestly brought this back yeah. around to the original discussion because what we have is Chip Zdarsky, who is doing a story about comic book writers and their rights on an independent platform. Mm-hmm. Right. That if you want to support it, you can. Yes, and you probably should if you enjoy your comics or even just the MCU for that matter, yeah. and realize that there are a lot of artists out there who aren't getting paid. I had the idea. I won't say it's my idea. I'm sure a thousand people have had this idea. 
um, last year of uh, during the original Blizzard hoopla um, <laughs> that the de devs in general, most video game devs outside of like a few really great indie studios, I don't think any AAA studios anymore, are, aren't paid enough. Mm -hmm. And instead of like going straight to the video game and buying the video game and playing it, if you really, really enjoyed it, maybe there should be a thing like a Patreon that will pay out equally to all the devs and only the devs mm -hmm. money that is donated yeah. to that thing because we need to find a way. This team is good. I want to pay this team. To tip our artists mm -hmm. rather than just having them live on whatever fucking Activision Blizzard will pay them. Yeah. So I think that in an ideal society, yeah. what we'd be saying is that yes, comic book creators should get more for the thing that they create. Mm -hmm. However, we live in a society and right now the legal agreements are what they are. Yep. Hopefully in so at some point, maybe those negotiations will change, mm -hmm. but we as three dudes sitting around a table don't have the power to make yeah, that we change. Do. Right now, so, our talking people are listening to us. We have yeah. that power to say we want this change. Yes, and yes. we do. We, we want the change to happen. We mm -hmm. want comic book creators to be paid more. But there are a lot of factors that do have to be considered. There has to be things like who owns the character creation rights, who owns mm -hmm. the story rights. And those are things that companies need to actually sit down, no matter who you are comic book wise, mm -hmm. and really discuss internally. Like, where does the percentage lie? Because at the end of the day, it is capitalist society. Yes, everybody's trying to make money. But maybe the people that like make the thing should, should maybe get a little bit more. That's all I'm saying. I'm just throwing mm -hmm. it out there. I just, agree. Just give them a little bit more. Yep. And th this goes for all kinds of things. I mean, when you think about when we think about movies, like all the movies that we love and all the artists who created these characters and we're like, well, those, you know, those writers should get paid more and the people who created this character should get paid more. What about like the best scene from you can think of from, let's say, uh, uh, WandaVision, mm -hmm. right? Uh, a show with amazing sets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A set artist designed those sets, and some people made them. What they're not getting mm -hmm. is residuals every time someone watches that shit. Right. So where where do we find that? The actors, sure. the producers, everybody. That's yeah. mm -hmm. it's, it's a complicated yeah. thing, and money's a complicated thing. And really, at the end of the day, <laughs> we're all sitting here going, like, we want more for everybody. We just don't know how to quite give it to them. And it mm -hmm. feels weird for me to end a show that way because it's such a nebulous ending hey uh, uh, we normally have a very strong opinion about how to handle it but at this point it's just one of those things that like we just want artists and and talent to be credited and paid for yes and and sometimes things are complicated and then they don't have an easy answer yeah and that's just that that is just most things these days yeah but we do want yeah we want better for our creators for everyone who creates anything for the stuff that we love right yeah so yeah I mean, there's no easy answer to how we solve the compensation problem. Yeah. But we know that far, far too much of the money brought in by these creations goes to far, far too few people. Yeah. And that's what needs to change. And that's something that here, if anybody that um, is listening to us actually works in the industry, we'd love to hear your opinions about because we mm -hmm. are just three dudes sitting around a table. Yeah, none just, of us make movies. Just, just, just wanting more for the creators who make the things that we love and the reason that we actually have a fucking show. Mm -hmm. um, so if you'd love to talk to us and reach out and just give us your opinions about it, um, please do. Um, Tony, where can they find us? Where can they reach out to us and, and speak with us about this? Starts with a G. Info at 
G N G G. Sorry, I am no sorry. Yes, it starts with a G. Info mm-hmm. at goodnight.gg is the email address you can reach us at, and then at G N G G Cast on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. But if you go to goodnight.gg, that is our website. It just redirects you to our Patreon page. You can do that. Yeah. All of our social there media is on there, and we can mm-hmm. take care of you. We'd love to hear from uh, both people that listen to our show and also content creators so we can get some feedback about that. Uh, but it is sadly time for us to go. We will be back next week. But until next week, for Tony, this is James. For James, this is Tony. And I'm Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game.